This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Okay, so welcome, 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 HCJ.tax. Every week, well, now it's tax season, so it's kind of tricky, but we do try to do a live stream every week. Today, normally we'll have an interview where we interview other subject matter experts. We've been doing a lot on Spain and Portugal recently because there's been so many questions from people who want to move or who have made that move to, to Southern Europe. But today, what I thought, given where we are in the tax season, we just talk U.S. international tax. So I got a whole bunch of questions, but I'm not, at least here in Zoom, I'm not seeing anyone. Well, hey, Jake, good to see you. Uh, not seeing anyone else. Jake, if you, if you sent me a question, then yeah, I would have got it. Otherwise, feel free to type it in the box below. And, and, we, and we can get to that as well. So, so no problem. So what I would do is, yeah, I'll just jump in. So the, the first question was really about deadlines. It gets kind of confusing, tax deadlines. Let's talk about tax deadlines. So if it is that you are US exposed, and what do I mean by US exposed? So you have a US passport, so you're a US citizen, or you are a lawful permanent resident, or you've triggered substantial presence under Section 7701. So regardless of what it is, you are a U.S. taxpayer, at least even, even if it's temporary, but you are a U.S. taxpayer. So you need to file taxes for 2022. So the question is, well, when is the deadline? It gets confusing. Some people say, is it uh, mid-April, like it was when you were physically in the U.S.? Or is it a special deadline? So the answer is yes and no. <laughs> with, they, with, with tax rules, it's never really quite clear cut sometimes. So yes, they, you do get an automatic two month extension. So the filing deadline is mid June. So yes, that, that is correct. However, the deadline for payment is still mid April. I know it seems counterintuitive and it seems kind of weird, but that, that's just the way it is. So payments must be made by mid-April, even though the actual default date for filing a return, this is a normal 1040, a personal uh, tax return, is mid-June. Yeah. However, you'd want to file, if, if you're not going to be ready by mid-June, you'd want to file an extension and with a form 4868 to, and you get until mid-October if you need that extra time to pull things together, which many people do. If you need even extra time, perhaps to uh, to leverage the foreign and income exclusion or so there's other such extenuating circumstances, you can do you can file a form 2350 to get until mid-December. But these are all filing deadlines. If taxes are due, taxes have to be paid by mid-April. So what we do, clients that we, first of all, we always advise clients to start the journey early. Do not wait until the last minute. You should not really be approaching a tax team at the end of March to hit a mid-April deadline. It's not going to happen. So we've, we're filing for extension. So we'll file for an extension and we try 
to get some sort of calculation done so that at least you can make a payment by mid-April because failure to do so, you're gonna be hit with underpayment penalties. So the IRS, they do not like to wait to get paid. They wanna get their money on time. So you should, whoever, whichever tax team you've been working with historically, they should have been helping you calculate what the estimated payments would be. And I think we get into estimated payments uh, a little further on in this conversation, but you should have been making those payments and we'll help you make as well as best as we can, because like everyone else who's pretty decent at the job, they're pretty swamped right now. So, so, so yeah, you try to make a payment by mid-April, you get an extension. Uh, if you don't do anything, you have an extension until mid-June. If you do file for an extension, you have until mid-October to get the paperwork done. So this is for your personal tax return, but many of our clients aren't just doing personal returns. So they are business investors, they're business owners. So that means that there are entity filing requirements as well. Generally speaking, you can Google what the specific forms would be and what the deadlines are. So, but just generally speaking, if it is that you have a flow through and by flow through, I mean like uh, an S corp or uh, a partnership. So therefore you need to file a 1065 or you need to file uh, an 1120S for an S corp. The deadline for that was mid March. So you're already late. So generally speaking, the deadline for the flow-throughs or for the pass-throughs, mid-March, if it is you have uh, an entity like a corporation, like a C-Corp or a foreign corp that does business in the U.S., which is an 1120F for foreign, so many of our clients do that, the deadline would be mid-April. Mid so the entity deadlines tend to be mid-April. So generally speaking that that's what you're looking at but again you could probably just speak to your tax advisor or just google everything is completely available online so you know you got to get going so that's the first question the next question that people were asking in the emails that we got were about hmm, kind of like stimulus payments right so Hmm. There've been, you know, there's been a, a bit of controversy, controversy online because, uh, yes, we, I mean, there's been a lot of publicity when it comes to the PPP payments and the other COVID relief payments at the federal level. So that that amount is clear that that's more or less done by now. But at the state level, various states. And what, what do I mean? You know, we've had we've seen Alaska, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, my home state, Hawaii, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. They in particular, they you know, if you were still tax resident in those states by virtue of whatever, you may have received some sort of COVID-19 related payment in uh, and in 2022, depending on your circumstances, not everybody, but you may have received some sort of payment like that. Then question became, well, okay, that's a state payment. Is it going to be taxable at the federal level? And this has been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But essentially, the IRS has determined, they did a press release. I think uh, there's a news release. If you're looking for it online, you'd want to look for ir 2023 dash 23. So anyway, so generally speaking, those payments are tax-free. 
at the federal level. So they won't be attracting a payment at the federal level. So it, I know it did it did sound a bit con you know contrarian because there was there was a sentiment that it would be taxable uh, at the federal uh, at, at the at the federal level, but no, it's not going to be taxed. So so that would be of interest to those who did receive those payments. So uh, again, I'm just working through the questions that that some people submitted yesterday in advance of this. So I I mean that's short and to the point. That should answer your question. You, whoever, whoever your tax team is, they would have got updates in their software. So if it was being taxed before, it should be reversed. So that, that should be crystal clear by now. Okay, right. So that's that question. Another question would be about, right. I know the other uh, tax teams out there, including some that I call my friends, that have been a bit skeptical when it comes to the IRS online account. So if you're not aware, you can go online, you can go to irs.gov and just look, and you can click on the correct menu item or you're basically looking for an account. So finally, for those of us who reside outside of the US, so like in Singapore or parts of Europe or you know other parts of Asia, it has long been the custom when it comes to governmental affairs or interacting with the government, you and you're a resident of that jurisdiction, like I'm a resident of Singapore, that you will get a login to get into a government portal. And you were able to, you know, see correspondence. You don't need to wait for stuff to come in the mail. That's so, you know, like old school. Any correspondence from the tax office or whatever, it will be clearly there for you to see, you know what your tax bills are. You can see your history of payments and stuff like that. So easy to deal with. So the IRS, like a couple of years ago, two or three years ago, I think they started doing that generally. And I know that some of my great friends, they have been a bit skeptical saying, you know, the government is out for your data. They want to know where you are, they're tracking you, whatever. Okay. Uh, again, I, I get that there are privacy concerns, but it has been such a lifesaver, not just for my clients, but for me personally. So I have uh, an RS account as a tax professional, but also as a personal, as a taxpayer, U.S. taxpayer myself. So I've been using it myself. And uh, I know that the privacy advocates have been pushing back. So as some sort of concession, I think it was last month, sometime in Feb, the IRS did agree to remove the there's a facial recognition requirement, depending on whether you could have you they you have to you know you have to uh, produce some sort of ID and stuff. A lot of people had to go through extra verification steps where they had to be visually identified as who they are, and, and there was a bit of pushback on that. But now, as a result of the uh, hesitation, let's say, it's no longer a requirement. So. My point is this, please go register, get yourself uh, logged into the IRS account. When you live outside, and for example, if you live somewhere like Singapore, where it takes a really long time for mail to get from the US to Singapore, so many times IRS notices are late and people get into trouble because you know the mail service delivery is late or you may have moved the address and you know the IRS doesn't have your last known address. Oh, oh, they, if you live somewhere like the United Arab Emirates, if you live in Dubai, the, the address system 
it's completely bizarre. I mean, the whole postal system takes some getting used to, but it's not always easy for mail to get to you. Log into your IRS account and keep up to date on what your tax pay, make sure your tax payments have gone through, make sure you're getting the latest correspondence, make sure they're aware of your latest address, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, the, the facial recognition requirement has been removed. Get online, get onto the IRS portal. Okay, so that was that point. Now, related to the first question somebody asked about uh, payment deadlines is a whole idea of estimated payments. Obviously, when you work in the US, or even if you work outside of the US, we have lots of clients working for American firms, either they're working remotely or they're working with units outside of the US, and they still get paid on W-2. So that's fine. If you get paid on a W-2, I assume you to fill out your W-4 correctly. So the withholding should be accurate. So, so the, the point is that the company, the payroll team at your company takes responsibility for getting the correct amount to the IRS at the right time. However, for those uh, who may not be working for a U.S. company, they, oh, they may be an independent contractor, they're working for a foreign corporation, how do you, you need to manually make sure that your estimate, estimated taxes are done. Now, we, we work with our clients, and I'm sure it's a norm with tax teams that are accustomed to dealing with U.S. exposed persons outside of the U.S. It's just completely normal that as part of doing your 2021 returns, they should have produced for you vouchers or some sort of payment schedule for your 2022 estimated tax payments. Failure to make those uh, payments on time to the correct amount may lead to when you look at your 2022 returns that are being done now, it might be a form 2210 on them, talking about the underpayment penalties. So you will be subject to underpayment penalties. So, uh, you know, I think the minimum is once you owe, once you expect to owe at least $1,000 to the IRS, you should be thinking, having that conversation with your tax team, hey, what are my estimated tax payments going to be? I don't want any trouble. I don't want any uh, underpayment penalties. And for some, some of our bigger taxpayers, those underpayment, um, underpayment penalties could be in the five and six figures. We've seen it. We've seen it. You know, when, yeah. So the, the point is, you don't want to mess with the IRS. Make sure and get your estimated uh, tax payments done. Oh, if you're working with a tax team for the first time that don't know you or they don't know the international tax rules, like many, you know, some, you know, some tax teams are very domestic focused. So you probably need to coach them, say, hey, uh, I've looked online. I need to make sure that my estimated tax payments for 2023, I know you've done my 2022 return. Thank you for that. Can you make sure that I have a payment schedule for my 2023 returns, please? For my 2023 taxes, please, because I know I expect to owe at least $1,000. So could you please help me out make sure that those calculations are done? The payments are due at least quarterly. So the first payment will be due mid-April, so next month. So the first estimated tax payment for 2023 will be due next month. Uh, the next payment will be due in June, then September, and the fourth quarterly payment will be due in January 2024. So again, make sure, stay close to your international tax team. Make sure that they get your payment schedule for your estimated taxes done so you will have no problems. Okay. Gosh, we, 
this, this is a, another question. We, we get these inquiries every day. It's, it's an, it's a, yeah, it, it is a bit of a morbid topic. So I say that in advance that it's about form 706 NA, the form 706. So when someone passes away and there may be at the federal level. So I know the US state level, there's a whole myriad of rules. I'm just speaking right now about the federal level a federal tax return may be due, right? When, when a, a loved one passes away, a federal. So I, I know it's a hassle. You need to deal with so much, you know, other, you know, there's so many other priorities, right? To, to think about, well, I need to file a tax return. Yeah, but hey, it's a thing. So, you know, we, we had a few clients some years ago who had questions. So basically we deal with a lot of mixed nationality couples. That, that, that is one of our specialties, mixed nationality couples. So one US exposed partner and a non-US partner. So that, that, that is pretty, pretty standard. So, and when, you know, unfortunately the US exposed partner may pass away, and the non-US partner is left to deal with whatever. Of course, we advocate proper estate planning. This makes the whole process of succession and you know, succession in terms of assets moving from one generation to the other or to the, the partner and whose name it may not have been. But uh, unfortunately, that is not always done. So things have to go through probate. There may be estate taxes due, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, so there are situations or sometimes where someone may have worked in the US at some point in time and they would have made investments and then they left the US and or they may have surrendered their passport or green card or their residency or, or whatever. So the, the point is that you have some, you have an asset a U.S. CITES asset, normally real estate, normal or stocks, shares. Because you, you think about that, so many, the U.S. stock market is uh, probably the most active, vibrant, attractive in the world right now. So you have so many people from outside of the U.S. investing in shares in Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, whatever the case may be, not being aware of the fact that in the the event of the untimely death, there would be U.S. tax filing requirements, assuming that, uh, well, there, there'll be the potentially U.S. tax filing requirements. So as a result of the number of cases that started coming in our door, uh, we wrote a pretty comprehensive article, which, you know, thanks to our SEO team, it's ranking in the top three in the world. When you when you Google Form 706 any or Form 5173, we, we're up there. So we get these sorts of inquiries almost every day. So the, the point is this. So you're not a you're not a US person, or the person may have passed away with assets in the US. And whether or not you're a U.S. person, U.S. tax filing may be due. So and when you approach the brokerage firm or you, you approach a financial institution, they said, sorry for your loss, sorry for your loss of your partner, whatever, or your parents, grandparents. But in order for us 
to transfer these assets, these financial assets, usually to your name, we would need to get an IRS clearance certificate. The IRS clearance certificate is otherwise known as a Form 5173. And in order to get the clearance certificate, you would need to file a tax return and pay any taxes that are due. And typically, the tax return that is due would be a 706-NA for like a non-resident alien, a non-American, basically, you could say, you can put it that way. And it is one of perhaps, you know, dealing with the IRS, it could be one of the lengthiest and the most frustrating processes. And we've seen clients go through so much hassle with it when they try to do it on their own. Even if you have a professional working with you, I don't know what people, no, no matter what they tell you, what whoever's trying to pitch you to do it, it's gonna take at least a year. It comfortably takes a year. Hopefully that processing time will be faster now that the IRS has got this additional funding, but, and during COVID it got worse. It, obviously because of the, the extenuating circumstances, it easily took over a year. Before COVID, it was around a year around a year before after you submit the return you have to pay taxes due and this is another point of contention the assets would not be released to you until the taxes are paid because basically there's assets in the u.s the an estate taxes due you cannot use the asset you cannot use the funds in the account to pay the taxes due on the account you need to source as the beneficiary or the administrative the estate or whatever, you'd need to source funding on your own, settle the estate tax bill. And then afterwards, only afterwards, when the funds are released to your uh, custody, can you be made whole again? But it creates a huge cash flow issue. And yeah, it creates a huge cash flow issue. And we've seen so many clients, they, they start the process and when they realize what the tax liability is, we've seen so many have to walk away and leave the funds unclaimed in the account because they cannot afford the money. They cannot afford to pay the tax bill. Other, other than that, you can take a loan. You know, they have, if you have access to credit, you get a loan, pay it off, knowing that you can repay the loan once you get access to the account. But it, it can be uh, an emotionally draining experience, of course. It'll be a financially draining experience because you have to, um, unfortunately, find the funds to pay the taxes before you can get the funds. And then it is trying on your, on your patience because it just takes a long time. The IRS takes a long time to get this done. So, so, so yes, and this, this question is being asked of us because this person has used another tax team to do it and the tax team abandoned the process midway. Part of what is required by the tax team that you're gonna retain, I'm not saying that you necessarily need to use us, but whichever tax team you need to use next. First of all, you have to understand that whatever work that person did for you back in 2019, it's over. So you can't, you have to start the process all over again. Chances are you need to start the process all over again, especially if you never got some, any sort of correspondence from the IRS, acknowledging receipt, issuing you a tax ID for, for either yourself or the estate. You need to start the process all over again, uh, unfortunately.
So, and the, the part of the responsibility of the tax team in a situation like that is to actually reach out to the IRS and to follow up uh, because, yeah, that, that it's a manual, uh, very time-intensive process. So, it, you know, human beings need to get on the phone, need to, there's an email address that sometimes you need to correspond with and, and so on and so forth. So, it is a very time-intensive process and a, a very labor-intensive process. So, Please keep that in mind. I'm sorry, unfortunately, you need to start the process over again and you'll need to pay. If there's no record of the taxes being paid and you cannot prove that the taxes that you say were already paid have been paid, you may need to pay them, pay them again. But then that's part of reaching out to the IRS and trying to figure out what's going on. So, sorry. I, I know it's already an emotionally draining time. So, so yeah, so I know people have asked these questions and they're not on the live stream today, in which case this is going to be all published online. So whenever you, when, at any point in time, you can go to our website, you can go to our YouTube channel, you can go to wherever you get your favorite podcasts and you will have access to these recordings. So if you or your friend or your colleague weren't able to make it, just let the person know. Yes. What else? Aha, this, this, this is another one that more than one person asked about. It. And we get this all the time. <laughs> I entitled this question, Habibi come to Dubai. And the, and the reason why is I'm strong in this. You know, this, this so this, I'm not revealing who asked this question, obviously. But I was talking to another client last week about it. I mean, super smart guy, you know, uh, fund manager, Ivy League educated or whatever, but he's not a tax guy, right? And he's saying, Darren, what's going on? Everywhere I look online, these are his words, not mine. Everywhere I look online, there's somebody on YouTube screaming about leave the US and go to Dubai and he'll save all this money in taxes. But, you know, he's saying, I'm hearing it, but intuitively this doesn't make sense. What they're saying, it doesn't make sense. Are they mis-selling? Are they misrepresenting? Are they misleading people? Or oh, am I missing the trick? And I'm telling, so my response to this person, which is same response I'm going to give to you right now, is that you're not missing anything. You're just using your head. If something is too good to be, the, the, the rule of thumb is if something sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to sound cynical. I don't mean to come across that way, but that's real. I mean, you, so wait, by just jumping on a plane and going to another jurisdiction, all these benefits could be yours? Of course not. That's not how it works. Life is a little bit more complicated like that, especially when it comes to law, especially when it comes to taxes. Just a little bit of common sense. If it's too good to be true, it's too, too good. To, it's not true, right? So it's not as easy as jumping in a plane, going to Dubai, and then selling saving all this money in taxes. So first of all, you will be subject to the US tax system. You know, the U.S. doesn't care whether you live in Denver or Dubai, whether you live in Seattle or Sharjah, you know, uh, Atlanta or Abu Dhabi. doesn't matter, right? You will be subject to taxes on your worldwide income. And you would not be relieved of that responsibility simply by jumping on a plane and going to another jurisdiction. doesn't work like that. It's a joke. And But I, I get it. I get it. You know, everybody's trying to earn a living, right? So if you think that that person who's standing, sitting on YouTube and, shout, and screaming about Dubai 
is doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Come on, you know, I have a bridge that I want to sell you. You know, it, it just makes no sense. It just makes no sense. They're doing it because they're financially incentivized to do it. And unfortunately, they may be a little bit strong on the selling part and a little bit light on the truth part. So simply by going to Dubai, you're not going to suddenly be relieved of the obligation to file and pay taxes. That's not going to go away. And especially the most common way of being becoming a resident in the United Arab Emirates, so Dubai is just one of the seven or so uh, Emirates, is to get an, uh, a free zone company and get, so form a company in one of the free zones that are like 45 or so free zones across the seven Emirates. So you pick one and that's, that's a process that you shouldn't be driven by whoever's trying to sell you the hardest. So given their commission level, it must be something that makes sense given what you're trying to do, but okay. So most people, at least most of our clients, they've set up a company, the company gets their residency card or the Emirati ID for them. We, by virtue of having that company and that company normally has a bank account as well, that company is also reportable on your U.S. returns, on your 54, Form 5471. You need to declare on your U.S. returns the existence of the company. So the, the point is this, not only do you still have to pay taxes when you leave the U.S., you also need to report your investment activity outside of the U.S., including the formation of companies. So you have additional reporting requirement. Your compliance burden increases. I'm not saying don't go. Of course, go. Beautiful place. We're doing a, uh, an in-person event. And I checked before this call, we had 77 people registered. So we're going to be at the Capitol Club in the DIFC, the most popular, well, the most popular. Let's say the most, what we consider to be the most attractive free zone for those in financial services and, and legal profession. So we're going to be in that free zone, uh, in, that, in that jurisdiction, the DIFC, in the Capitol Club on the 11th of April. 77 people registered. So big fan of Dubai. I love it. I have an Emirati ID as well. But I, it's not about saving money on taxes. It's, it's for other purposes. So you still have a tax obligation. Uh, the only way to relieve, your, you relieve yourself of that tax obligation is to surrender your U.S. passport or green card. That's the only way. Or if you want to move, but you don't want to give it up, you can move to Puerto Rico. Under certain circumstances, you can pay very close to zero. We did a whole live stream with a Puerto Rican tax expert uh, about, I think, in January, so a couple months ago, January 2023. So have a look, you know, over an hour of Q&A from all these people asking all these scenarios, and he's answered them. So you get it. Again, it's not just move there and you're going to save money. Of course, when it comes to law, when it comes to taxes, it's always very nuanced. But you still have the opportunity to pay next to nothing while retaining your U.S. passport or green card. You move to the Emirates, you need to surrender it in order to get that zero tax benefit that they talk about. Now, if it is that you're on a relatively low income, so your earned income is less than the foreign income exclusion, which mm, it moves in inflation each year, but right now is around 112,000, right? So if it is that you earn less than that, then you can, in fact, pay zero tax, depending on the, the, how your income is structured because of the Section 911 foreign earned income exclusion. So it is possible for those on, on the lower end of the, of the income ladder. It is possible to move to Dubai and be low, low 
low or no tax, but it really depends on your situation. Understand that the responsibility, even if you're below the foreign income exclusion, the responsibility for filing a return remains. And in fact, the compliance burden may be increased because remember, you have to report your US and your non-US, your foreign investments, like in foreign companies or foreign bank accounts under the FinCEN 114, your FBAR foreign bank account report. So it's not an unbashing Dubai, and I'm not bashing anybody for trying to make a living, but here, here's something you already know. If your parents told you that when you were growing up, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. It's not true, right? So yes, you can move to Dubai under certain circumstances. You're going to save potentially some money, but it's not automatic and it's not, it doesn't work for everyone in every financial situation. When it comes to law, when it comes to taxes, everything is nuanced. So hope that helps answer that question and clear up that misunderstanding. Ooh, yeah. This one is a bit of a sensitive one. And I, I kind of did a double take. Someone sent a really, you know, when you get one of those it's tax season, so it's kind of tricky to actually spend time reading it. But we get one of those really long emails, a really, really lengthy email. And it, it explains that uh, I'm not going to go in, I can't, I'm not going to read it, right? So essentially, there are online operators of people, or I, I guess YouTubers, or what's, what's the right word? Influencers, so online influencers. So online influencers who are not qualified in tax and immigration, which is fine. Maybe you don't need to be qualified. That's okay, you know, but they are selling tax and immigration advice, which is fine, you know, depending on the jurisdiction, there's no legal requirement for you to be duly qualified or licensed to do it, which is fine. But unfortunately it has consequences. So this person paid what they consider to be a fair bit of money for an uh, and, and a plan, a tax and a tax and migration plan, and they are basically it didn't work. So it doesn't it didn't confer the benefits that they thought it would and that they were promised. So I had to look at it. You know, they sent me the plan. I'm not going to comment on it and. Maybe this is the exception rather than the rule. But remember that because there's no license requirement, there's no skin in the game. So it is different when someone is exercising their profession, knowing that they, you know, they, they're incentivized by the fact that if they get anything wrong, they're going to get in trouble. They're going to get in trouble. So there's a built-in incentive for them to at least try to do things the right way and to double check what they're saying and to you know, exercise some sort of fiduciary responsibility to their clients. If it is you don't have a license, no such uh, responsibility exists. So they, the, the way the taxes actually do work is in conflict with what they were told. And so the tax savings that they thought by moving to, I'm not going to even say the jurisdiction because it's not the fault of the jurisdiction. It's a, a misunderstanding. 
between the person who sought out the service and the person who delivered the service. So, you know, these things happen all the time. We have misunderstandings with our clients. So nobody is perfect, right? But it didn't work out how they said. So at this stage, there's not much you can do. Then you're not going to get a refund, right? But what you can do is either with ourselves or with another team that is licensed. So look for someone with skin in the game. They're probably going to be a bit more expensive and they're probably going to take a longer time. And they're going to take a longer time because the, the report that they're going to do is bespoke. It is tailor-made to your situation. It's not a template where they change. Uh, they're going to delete Darren and they're going to type in Jake. And okay, hit send on the email and that's it. Uh, you know, it's not a production line, right? So they're going to spend a lot of time interviewing you, a lot of time getting the nuances of your situation. And bearing in mind their license, they're going to tailor make a plan to you, which is going to be signed off. So the person who created it, you know, the four eyes test, the person who's drafted it is going to be overseen by someone else. And they're going to have another look at it and make sure they agree with the conclusions or whatever. And then they send that to you. So it's probably going to take a bit longer and maybe a little bit more expensive. But the point is, there's a greater, there's no guarantee in life, but there's a greater probability that it would work. So again, I'm sorry about your situation. It was a pretty lengthy email. It's like two pages. Uh, and I, I get, you know, my, I, I am sensitive to your situation, but there's nothing that could be done except to retain another team to look at your situation again. And I would suggest that the team this time be, be licensed. So I'm sorry. Hope that helps. All right. And last question, uh, question from, okay. If you receive uh, an end of service benefit in Saudi Arabia, can you roll it into retirement account without penalty or tax obligations? So can it be rolled into retirement account? If you have a, well, if it is you receiving it in Saudi Arabia, there are US companies operating in Saudi Arabia, of course, but let's assume that your employer or your former employer is a non-US company then you'd probably looking to take that payment and onboard it and apply it to your own existing retirement account, a U.S. qualified retirement account. So either a, a traditional IRA or uh, a Roth. So if it's a Roth, well, obviously that'll be easy to the extent that it's an after-tax one. So, so the, the, the benefit really with a Roth, as you would know, is upon distribution when you retire, you're going to be able to pull out everything tax-free. So depending on your individual situation and what your contribution limits would be and given you, your overall financial situation, you may be able to deposit, you know, to, to invest it into your Roth. If, if it is that you already have a, some sort of self-administered IRA, then you may be able to invest it into that as well. But then that's a qualified product. So you just want to make sure that your income level, et cetera, et cetera, uh, are within the terms because you don't want to have any excess contributions because excess contributions create into a retirement account, create a lot of headache. We deal with clients 
because the tax benefit is claimed. So it has to, you have to amend returns. We have to pay penalties plus interest. You know, it just gets, it gets messy. So just check with your preferred financial advisor, tax advisor who knows your situation as senior returns, because I haven't, no, nobody here has seen your return. And we have a look, make sure that, okay, so this is your situation, or this is the, this is a retirement income you want to put it into. It's not in breach of the contribution limits. We still have some time. Okay, fine. Yeah, it, it can happen. So it really depends. That's going to be the easy part. And to be fair, five minutes on Google, you could probably do that on your own. Here's the challenging part that we found with our clients. The challenging part is the fact that many platforms or many brokerage firms, they don't feel comfortable dealing with U.S. persons residing outside of the U.S. And they would couch it in, oh, it's illegal or it's against SEC rules. We've done this. We did a, an in-person uh, panel discussion in February, so February 2023, so last month in Singapore. And we had, you know, two, two of the people, one of the persons is a former private banker, one is an existing private banker. So we had all the expertise on this panel. It was unanimous. It is not illegal. It is not against SEC rules. It's just the bank's own policy. And sometimes the frontline staff that you're speaking to at that brokerage from that financial institution may not be aware of the reason why. It's all they see, they, they look on their intranet and they see, oh, it's not allowed. And they just assume that there's some legal reason for it. No, it's a policy reason. So many financial institutions, they don't want to deal with the additional compliance burden that's imposed by the, when you're trying to onboard someone who resides outside of the US. So they want people with a US address. And who actually, not just a US address, because then you use your brothers, right? It's someone who actually does reside in the US. So speak to the platform, speak to the financial institution in, in question that you're thinking of or that you're already using or whatever, and make sure that they're comfortable with it because we've seen accounts frozen. We've seen, you know, letters, really aggressively worded letters where they're telling the account holder, you have a, a you know, it's we're freezing your account or you need to withdraw everything and put it on another platform. So yeah, just, just have a conversation. If it is that you are still struggling, we're not financial advisors. We, we're swimming all lane, but we do work with independent financial advisors who are US qualified, who do have SEC licenses. Uh, and we can point you in that direction and they do their thing. We do ours. We just simply tax guys, right? So the point is, the answer is yes. If it is that you are working outside of the US, you're working in Saudi, you're working anywhere in the Gulf. Yes, you can contribute to a retirement, a US qualified retirement plan. You just need to find the right platform. That's going to be the challenge to figure out what your contribution limits would be and the timing and whatever. That's easy. Just look online or you speak to advisors. Anyone can help you. But where it becomes really tricky is finding a platform that will take you. So hope that helps. And I think that's it. Uh, any more questions? Because I've gone through the questions that were submitted. We've gone through the questions that have popped up on the screen here today. And I think that's it. So Thank you very much. Have a look at HEG.tax and you can see where our next event is. Our next event would be February 11th in the DIFC in Dubai, as I mentioned. Other than that, we do have events afterwards scheduled that will just 
simply be online events. Then the next in-person event will be Singapore. We go back to Singapore in September for uh, an in-person event at the American Chamber of Commerce. So thank you for joining us. Appreciate your time. Again, have a look at our website, HGJ.Times. We have over 2,000 articles that seek to demystify the sometimes confusing world of international tax and cross-border compliance. We have over a thousand videos on YouTube, a thousand uh, podcasts on the various podcast platforms talking about, the, again, that sometimes confusing role. But of course, nothing we say is, should be construed as advice. We were just having a general conversation about general principles. For someone to advise you, they need to know your situation inside out. So you need to retain an advisor who is licensed and qualified in the jurisdictions in which you're exposed to point you in the right direction, keep you out of trouble. My name is Darren Joseph, and I hope that we've been helpful to you today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.